How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to Fear Frequency, a weekly horror podcast. It's me, Jimmy Champagne, and I'm joined today, as I usually am, by George Frizzard. How's your week going, George? Good, man. What's up? It's been a minute. Dude, two hours of traffic. So <laughs> I know everyone wants to hear about LA traffic. I'll keep it brief. Basically, I have to drive over a mountain on my way to and from work, and there's no way around it, obviously, because it's a mountain and not a hill. And they closed down three of the five lanes on the way back. So my way home sucks every day now. <laughs> it's terrible. But um, I was feeling tired, so I got the spookiest coffee that Starbucks had to offer, a white chocolate mocha. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Haunted, for sure. Yeah, so this is the 82nd episode. It's been a little bit, but that's because we like made some changes behind the scenes we kind of reworked the show a little bit and we both think the result will be better and you can always email us with any questions comments or just say hi whenever you want at fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com or you can find us both individually on twitter at jimmy champagne and at george frizzard uh before we get into the news since it's been a few weeks we should definitely catch up though on what we've been watching and playing George, I'm going to let you start because I know we have a lot to talk about here. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, we'll just jump uh, directly into it. But uh, So what I've been watching lately is um, The Clone Wars was the latest show that I jumped into. Okay, so Clone Wars. I've been watching Clone Wars since I was in high school. And I finished <laughs> it right after I moved out to LA. And I've been telling you for years how great it is. But you've finally seen the light. How do you, how yeah, do you I, feel about it? I decided to uh, take the plunge and actually give it a the old college try since I've been so inspired from playing Jedi Fallen Order. And the show's awesome. Like, it's honestly really cool. Um, and I'm roughly halfway through the first season, and from what I've read, it only gets, like, ten times better from there. So I'm excited to see what future seasons have in store. But so far, I'm really enjoying it. It has the same mold as every Star Wars cartoon in the sense that they, it's written... And directed in a way that they're expecting their audience to age. So that it like it gets more mature each season because they're like the same people are coming back. So that's why it gets better. Rebels definitely follows the same format. But the the new one that looks like watercolor. I was like, ah, I'm not going to watch that. That looks like <laughs> that one skewed way too young. They, they went way too young with that one. But Clone Wars is awesome. Uh, I don't know if you know this. It ends on like a very bizarre cliffhanger because when Disney bought Lucas... They canceled the show, even though it's canon. So it ends on a pretty crazy cliffhanger. And it's kind of picked up in Rebels. It's not totally picked up. It involves Ahsoka. But they're finishing out the show on Disney+. Plus. They're giving it one more season. That's what I was going to say. Like, I have seen people who are diehard Clone Wars fans come out and say, like, the stuff they're excited to see in Season 7. So... I know season six was kind of a short season, so it seems like it went away for a while and then kind of came back. And then if it ends on a weird cliffhanger and now they're actually finishing it out, now they have like Disney Plus money. I mean, it's cool they don't completely abandon it, um, but it's definitely a show that is really cool and like way deeper than I would have expected. So the guy who runs it, Dave Filoni, he's the, you've definitely seen him before because he does a lot of the panels and stuff. He's the guy in the cowboy hat. Yeah. He was like George Lucas's protege. So he took over the show, had like the full blessing from George Lucas. So after Disney canceled Clone Wars, right after they bought Lucas, they let him do Rebels. And he actually directed the first episode of uh, The Mandalorian. Right. 
and he did a pretty good job. He kind of directed it in a way that made it feel like an episode of Clone Wars or Rebels, and I was like, I don't know about that, but he only did the premiere, so uh, he's working on, you know, season seven of Clone Wars, and I think the rumor is that him and Jon Favreau are going to be kind of like taking the helm of Star Wars going forward. Yeah, I mean, if at least they kind of take over the Disney Plus side of it, where they're controlling the TV scene, like the weekly episodes, I'd be definitely cool with that. So far, I've been a pretty big fan of The Mandalorian, and I think if that kind of direction moves forward, I would love to see more weekly Star Wars installments. Yeah, so I really like Clone Wars. I'm glad you're watching it. And Clone Wars, it's cool because a lot of, a lot of people haven't watched Clone Wars, but they are playing um, Battlefront 2 right now, and a lot of Clone Wars influences Battlefront 2. It kind of like makes up for the lack of quality in episode two. Like a lot of people really like that era, but not because of episode two. They like it because of Clone Wars. Right, which is kind of what I was about to transition to, where the other thing that I've been watching was the the prequel trilogy, episodes one through three. And basically everything that that trilogy is lacking is made up for tenfold in even just like the first season of the Clone Wars where we get to see characters actually doing important things and we get to see the universe expand with these like black ops missions with the clone troopers and we get to see the motivation behind the different the separatists and the republic armies which is like I don't know why that part was entirely cut from the movies and all we get to see is the really boring shit uh, right. but it's like <laughs> you watch the show and you're like why is this not what the movies are about because this is really cool and everything in the movies fucking sucks i don't understand how the prequel trilogy is so expensive but looks so shitty even i used i like episode three obviously but i was kind of skipping around in it on disney plus at work today and dude like th- the movie may as well have been animated at a lot of <laughs> points like all the stuff with general grievous and Anything where the scenery around characters is in focus looks terrible. Looks yeah, so totally. bad. I, I mean, and that's even the case for most of the prequel trilogy. The entire last scene of episode two, where it's the big arena fight, it's 99% mm-hmm. CGI and like eight real people actors. And I, I mean, like the pod racing scene is obviously 100% CGI. It's just like, it sucks that like it's all poorly aged CGI and all the, like, cool, meaty stories had to be pushed off to this animated show nobody watches for some reason. Yeah, but then you get into Clone Wars, and Obi-Wan and Anakin are incredible characters. You yeah. still get the political intrigue and, like, espionage. Padme becomes a character, which is crazy. <laughs> uh, the clones themselves, like uh, Commander Cody and Rex specifically. Rex is awesome. I really love him, and there's some really cool stuff that happens because he shows up in Rebels. You haven't gotten there yet, but there's some cool plot developments that kind of explain why he's able to show up in Rebels after uh, Order 66, even though he's a clone. You get to see a lot of different Jedi. Every single one of them kind of gets their own episode, which I like. They all have their own arcs, mm. um, like even Kit Fisto and Plo Kloon and all these dudes. Like They all show up in Clone Wars, so that show in its five five and a half seasons really picked up a lot of the slack that the movies kind of left because yeah i mean even so like even the episode that focuses on like the rookie uh clone troopers where they're supposed to protect this outpost and then like all the like agent cody and rex show up because they're supposed to be like testing them and making sure that they're all good 
And so you get, like, actual character development from these five clones that all should be identical, but, like, they each have their own ways of dealing with problems and each, like, get their own personality. And I assume they grow as characters through the entire length of the show. So it's cool that we get, like, actual character arcs that matter in this animated show. Yeah, and Ahsoka is one of the best Star Wars characters of all time. A lot of the cut episodes from season six... They kind of smash them all together and turn them into a book, just called Ahsoka. It's pretty good. I don't want to like spoil things for you, but the book is really <laughs> good. It's based on what happens at the end of the show, which is the like annoyingly massive cliffhanger. <laughs> but I really like that. Um, I didn't. I was going to check out the prequels. I might still, but I don't know. I don't want the. I think they're just boring now. As much as I love Star Wars, I've seen them so many times. I'm just kind of like over it. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely after my recent rewatch and what I've watched of The Clone Wars so far, I would, like, for sure watch a few episodes of The Clone Wars as a better time investment than any of the, <laughs> the prequel yeah. trilogy. Yeah, so it says here you've been playing Fire Emblem. You finally beat that, right? I think you were yeah. playing it the last time we had a podcast because it's a long game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think my first playthrough took me about uh, 45-ish hours to get through. Man. Um, so I picked the Black Eagle house and sort of picked like the evil path through that, which is, I think technically supposed to be the shortest campaign, but it still took me 40 plus hours to get through. Um, but I, I finally made it through that game. Uh, it was really cool. I really enjoy the Fire Emblem series. I think this is a really kind of cool addition. I like the different paths you can take, different, um, students you can recruit, the kind of interesting flips you can make. And the New Game Plus mode is, like, surprisingly robust in that game, where okay. you you can really expedite the earlier chapters of the game by making all of your characters level up extremely fast in comparison to the first playthrough. So it has, like, a, it has its own built-in New Game Plus, right? Like, you, you don't have to play the tutorial if you beat it. Right. So essentially you pick it up at the same point, like you still play through those first intro levels, you pick your house, all that kind of stuff, but you have a professor level that levels up throughout the game uh, just from right. doing general activities. And essentially the points you accrue from your first playthrough, you can reallocate into different fields when you do a new game plus. So either you could upgrade your characters to stats that they previously had before. So like my main character was an A plus in swords and I was able to immediately get him up to an A plus in swords, like on my beginning playthrough of this next campaign. Uh, oh, I like that. Had, Nintendo doesn't usually do stuff like that. Yeah, or like if you had characters that you had some sort of bond with, uh, like let's say you only got one character to like a level C bond, but you want to get him to an S, you could pick it right back up from like a C, uh, if that's what you did the first time, and then oh, kind of okay. increase it from there. Or uh, you can increase um, your general professor level to the point where you can do like multiple missions per day, or you can do more activities every day. So there's a lot of uh, room to play around with being able to do a lot more activities sooner in the game, which lets you level up all your characters a lot faster, uh, which has been cool. And it's been kind of a fun way to re-experience the story uh, from a different perspective. And uh, so I, I highly recommend that game. If anybody likes the Fire Emblem style, anybody likes turn-based strategies, I think that's kind of the premier game on the Switch to pick up right now. We should make that our Christmas break Switch game because you want to do yeah. another playthrough, right? 
Yeah, I um, like I said, my first playthrough was the Black Eagle House, but my second playthrough I picked up was the Golden Deers. So I'm like probably maybe three or four hours into my second playthrough, but it's it's been pretty cool to see what the new game plus has been offering so far. That's where about I am in my first. I think I'm like ten hours in, so I'll just hold off on it until <laughs> Christmas because I'll talk about this in a little bit. But I'm playing Pokemon. Uh, you didn't talk about the Lighthouse. I've been trying to see that movie forever but like so i have the amc movie pass right which i pay 20 dollars a month for so i try my best to see movies at amc right uh, obviously the alamo is the best place to see movies i'm still still failing at getting into their their stupid movie <laughs> pass which i've been trying to do for so long but i haven't gotten a chance to see the lighthouse because amc around here doesn't show movies in like chunks it'll be like a random day they have a showing of this and i just haven't been able to get one so how was the lighthouse the follow-up to the witch uh it's definitely a very weird movie it has probably been like the movie that took me the most time to unpack since um annihilation oh okay. where like i i literally had to like sit back and think about everything i had seen for like a day or two before i could fully like appreciate what the movie was because it, thro- it definitely throws a lot at you. Um, I mean, there's, like, definitely some Greek mythology uh, allegories. There's, like, um, you know, very strange visuals. It's sort of like an insanity story, and it's also, like, this retelling of Greek mythology. And there's, like, a little bit of uh, Cthulhu mythos thrown in there. And so, it, like, it's really something that needs to be experienced more so than anything. Uh, I mean, I would say going in, it's definitely a story of, like, insanity with these two sailors who go to a lighthouse. It's I I think it's technically supposed to be based on a real story where these two men were supposed to be manning a lighthouse, both named Thomas, like the the two main characters, both Willem Dafoe and... uh, Robert Pattinson. Are both named Thomas in the movie. And so there were two men that were manning a lighthouse that went insane, and I think one of them killed the other one, and that was, like, sort of the very rough basis for this movie. Um, But, yeah, I mean, this, it is an insanity story. Like I said, it's Greek mythology allegory. It's Cthulhu mythology. It's kind of a Christian allegory, too. It's very strange, a lot of weird visuals. And it it is a, a strange movie and definitely one that takes a long time to fully unpack. I definitely want to still see that. I'm seeing um, Knives Out tomorrow. I'm really excited for that. Um, but now that Lighthouse is high on my list. So what I've been watching is the first thing I want to talk about is Dr. Sleep. So I went and saw this um, before Halloween and... I absolutely loved it. I, I was kind of expecting it to be good just because it's Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan's someone I've definitely come around on. Like, I used to not really like the way he makes movies, mm-hmm. but then it's grown on me a lot more after seeing just the same stuff over and over again. He's just consistently great. And Haunting of Hill House is where I really turned the page on him, I guess, is because... Yeah, it was a great series. Uh, it was a great series, but it's it's long form, so you get more time to appreciate what he's doing. And then if you go back and watch his other stuff, you can see that he was kind of planting the seeds and practicing specifically for Dr. Sleep, which he took on this monumental task of making it a Shining sequel, like Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, but also an adaptation of the book, uh, which famously Stephen King hates The Shining, 
So he kind of had to play around with, how do I make this respectful to Stephen King's sequel to The Shining, but also a sequel to the movie that he hates? And the way he does that is by developing characters for two hours and 15 minutes and then making the last 15, 20 minutes of the movie in the Overlook Hotel, which I thought was very smart. Like he completely earned... Um, the ability to go back to that hotel, rebuild those sets. It wasn't nostalgia bait because it's not even teased. It's not even like something where they're like, just just keep paying attention because eventually right. we'll get there. Like at one point I, I thought, man, they like tricked us in the trailers. They're not even going to go back there, but I'm fine with it because Ewan McGregor absolutely kills it uh, in the role of Dan Torrance. And even the recreations of those characters from the Stanley Kubrick shining. I love that he just found actors that looked vaguely like Shelley Duvall and whoever played Danny Torrance. And even uh, Jack Nicholson has a lookalike kind of wearing prosthetics instead of doing the CGI de-aging thing. It was really cool to see him commit to that. And just watching this movie bounce back and forth between different timelines and then different characters like Abra and Dan and Rose the Hat and the the Raven and their whole little crew. It all just worked really well. And I feel like after watching Haunting of Hill House twice and watching Oculus a week ago, uh, I was like, damn, he's been practicing for this forever. Because it's just kind of like the perfect culmination of everything he's been working towards. Yeah, there's totally scenes in Doctor Sleep that are very reminiscent of Haunting of Hill House. Like when young uh, Danny Torrance is like walking up to the bathroom door and there's, like, all the supernatural shit happening behind it. And that's, like, totally a scene from the show where there's, like, that uh, room in, like, the top floor of the hotel. And they're, you know, there's, like, obviously some evil shit happening inside. And they are, like, kind of alluding to what's behind the door and, like, the evil behind it. Like, there's right. scenes that are very, very similar to the show in that. And uh, I, I was also a pretty huge fan of the the movie. I thought it was great. Super well made. The CGI and the vampires was awesome. I really liked the shootout because it was like a real shootout. It was basically like, this is what would happen if people got in a gunfight in a clearing. Like, it wouldn't be this ridiculous Red Dead Redemption 2 style thing <laughs> because these people don't know what they're doing. You know, they're fighting right. vampires. It was really cool. That was well done. Um, there's something else I really liked. Oh, Oculus. So the way Oculus kind of plays into it is the Oculus mirror is essentially just a portable overlook hotel like it has the same powers as the overlook in the sense that it like draws you in and feeds off of your negative energy until it like sucks you in your soul and kills you makes you kill yourself and then you mm. live in the mirror forever it's like oh totally like that's what he was practicing for you could draw all these little parallel lines like straight to uh dr sleep which i think is awesome also the over or the the mirror from Oculus, the Lasser Glass, is in every single one of his movies. It's in Ouija Origin of Evil. It's in the Overlook Hotel in uh, Doctor Sleep. And it's in The Haunting of Hill House. So he kind of made it his own little Stephen King Yeah, artifact. sort of like uh, the Mike Flanagan uh, cinematic universe tie-in, sort of. Right. So that movie is phenomenal. Unfortunately, people just didn't go out and see it. Which yeah. blows my mind. I just don't understand. With horror being so hot right now and just the idea of it being a sequel to Kubrick Shining, I honestly think it's because Kubrick Shining is one of those movies that everyone acts like they've seen, but I feel like about 20% of those people have seen it <laughs> and actually understand it. You know, it's like right. you want to you wanna act like you're a real movie buff, so you say you've seen The Shining. Uh, and I feel like 
those people kind of ate crow a little bit and didn't go see the sequel to it because they don't actually know what it's a sequel to. Yeah, it's it's sort of a weird situation where it's like, I don't know if it was, uh, if they would have marketed it more as a sequel to The Shining, which I'm not sure how they could have done since the trailer did show multiple scenes from the original movie in it. Um, right. So I don't know if it was like a marketing well, yeah, thing. But they were recreations. Just, right. I mean, they're literal recreations of the set. They're not like shot for shot, like they're just pulling in old scenes from the movie. Like they are recreations that are 100% accurate. But it's just a weird situation where it's like, what was the cause of people not going to see this? Was it disinterest in it? Which seems weird since I feel like The Shining is a pretty well-regarded movie overall. So I think a lot of people don't know that Doctor Sleep is a sequel to The Shining. And I didn't necessarily see the trailer for it really anywhere. Never really played before movies for me. And I obviously, I go to the movies a lot. Yeah, I think I saw it once before uh, Ready or Not. I think I saw the trailer for it. But oh, God, I think that was about it. Forgot about that movie. Um, that was a great <laughs> movie. But yeah, I saw it before Ready or Not too. And the poster does not let you know, other than the Red Rum thing, that it's a sequel right. to The Shining. But I don't. Th- there were some great posters where it was Danny, you and McGregor, Danny looking through the cut in the door from the axe. It was all yellow. I never saw any of those posters at the theater. But I feel like if I had. Or if I was a general moviegoer, I think that would have been made it more apparent that this was a sequel to The Shining. But thankfully, Mike Flanagan is going to do just fine. And this isn't a movie that has sequel potential. It kind of just closes the book. So, like, it sucks that a lot of people didn't see it. But honestly, like, that's their loss. (laughs) They're missing out, you know? Yeah, it'd be nice if this kind of got, um, like, a modern-day cult following where maybe it releases on VOD or Blu-ray and people actually pick it up and say like, oh, wow, it's weird that I never went and saw this in theaters because it, right. it really does deserve a watch. So uh, if you haven't gone out and see it, seen it yet, I'd say go support it for sure. It's weird. I like some of the best movies ever made are like that, like Blade Runner and yeah. Blade Runner 2049 and um, The Guest. Like most of Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett's filmography has this massive fan base, but none of those people went out to see those movies in the theater. Like and I like- remember <laughs> when we we saw Your Next, I think like two or yeah. three times, we were mm. always in empty theaters. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I mean, even like every John Carpenter movie has kind of been a commercial right. fail other than when it <laughs> releases on home video and then people pick it up so uh it's it's a weird situation but hopefully it gets its uh its time in the sun at some point so what else have you been watching um so i've been keeping up with Watchmen. i really like that i think that's a great show uh it's really well done it obviously ties into the comic really well it's kind of dumb that uh, the damon lindelof i think is how you say his name he's so adamant that it's not a sequel to Watchmen when it is very clearly yeah, it's, a it's clearly sequel a sequel <laughs> yeah. like you've got ozymandias you've got silk specter you've got like main characters from Watchmen are in Watchmen. the giant squid was in episode four it's like just say it what it is right and i think the showrunners even said that uh dr manhattan is going to make an appearance at some point in this season so right I mean, you have, like, half of the original cast, and it wouldn't shock me at all if they brought in, um, like, an elderly Night Owl at this point, since they're kind of, like, half alluding to it so far. Like, if we see him in a jail cell somewhere, it wouldn't really shock me if we get, like, everybody but the characters who are dead in the show. Yeah, I really enjoy it. It's a great HBO show. I feel like it was smart of them, because they kind of hinged the, like, post 
Game of Thrones drop off on this show, and I can see why it is one of the best things I've seen on that channel easily. Yeah, I mean the the style is so cool on that show. I mean, just like the the cops are wearing the masks and the world that it builds. I mean, I, I would say even if you weren't a Watchmen fan, it just has this like very unique, interesting style to it that kind of draws you in, even if you only watch an episode or two. It's got a ton of iconic imagery that's really apparent. I've also been watching The Mandalorian, which I know you've watched too. Yeah. And I love it. I think it's exactly what I want it to be. My only complaint is that it's so short. Like it tops out at 37 minutes, which is crazy. Yeah, it's weird that the like the big premiere episode where they're like this is going to be the longest one was like <laughs> like you said that short. So it's like the like the episodes feel like they need more length to them. Like they need to have like a either more like multi-episode arcs or like a deeper story or something. Like I don't know if it's just cuz they haven't set up like the main arc of the this season yet other than like the one main character that uh the Mandalorian's kind of protecting. It, it just feels like it kind of needs like a stronger through line or like a better vision going forward. Like that there's some kind of goal at the end that we're striving for that I don't think it's really uh, planned out yet. I mean, granted, I haven't watched the third episode, so maybe that's yeah, when that's start planting the seeds. Um, yeah, I'm gonna watch so that far right the, after this. Right. So far, the first two episodes have been really fun. Like I've loved them. I think that the sets are amazing. The costume design is so cool. Like, so far, it's given me a lot of stuff that I love, and I am a huge fan of the series. I just think that it kind of needs a more concrete vision going forward. It's crazy that all of these movies that Disney was making, or Lucas was making, I guess, Lucasfilm, have turned into shows. Because that Boba Fett movie that was supposed to be happening, you can tell that this was the plot for it, because there's every character's in it. The Mandalorian... This is just, you know, palette swap, basically, of Boba Fett. They probably had him being Boba Fett at one point. Uh, IG-11, you just throw in IG-88. Right, the same as IG-88. And the, the series is only four hours long, I think, if you combine it up. Like, you know, it's it's clear that they're repurposing stuff. Also, the Obi-Wan show, Ewan McGregor said that it did start out as a movie. And everyone's saying on the, make, like, just in the Star Wars rumor circles that they're working on turning um kira the darth maul black spire story from uh the end of solo they're working on turning that into a show i think that's really smart honestly because those movies all these spin-off movies feel like they're made for real star wars fans and i don't want to gatekeep it all but this is the stuff that ends up in rebels and it ends up in the tv shows and the novels and the comics you know it's not like the stuff that usually ends up in the movies where it's this very broad stroke overarching pulled out look of the galaxy like these are the smaller stories and that's what i think serves tv better yeah i mean even like you were saying uh like that crimson specter like darth maul style storyline they sort of teased in solo like i think that would make a much i think they're called crimson dawn i don't know i forgot uh like i think that would that would make like a really interesting tv show because it's sort of this like black market mafia style like Sith kind of like underground empire throughout like these smaller parts of the galaxy. So having these like smaller vignettes where we get to see them operating on different planets or the, the like weirder kind of out there characters that would be involved in that 
would be super interesting and I think something that would be better suited for a TV show that we get weekly as opposed to a two-hour movie we have to cram it all in. Right, and you can work with a drug syndicate in a, right. a live-action older show than the cartoons, you know? Yeah, totally. Because that's like, like, you know, child slavery and stuff like that. You can get a little bit more mature with it. But overall, uh, I really like The Mandalorian, especially when you compare it to where we're at with the Skywalker saga, I guess, right now. Uh, we've had two movies, and nothing's really happened in the grand scheme of things. You know, it just feels like we opened a window two times into the lives of these people. But it's very clear that they're going to cram pretty much the entire plot into Rise of Skywalker. So it's nice to have something that's actually pushing a story forward for once that isn't a comic book or a novel. Like even in the movies, it feels like a lot of the stuff that's happening is in the like the EU of this like new canon Star Wars universe. Like a lot of oh, the stuff is. that happened totally in uh, Last Jedi was all more so like progressing the bigger universe as a whole forward more so than the like the main character storyline. Like we I know a lot of people hate the Canto Bite scene, but it's like that gives a lot of like flavor and character to the universe of this like new EU that they're building. So seeing like the character of the universe, I think is really important and something that would be a cool uh, area for the shows to focus on. Yeah. So I really, I'm really into the Mandalorian. I'm curious to see where it's going. Apparently it really opens up in the third episode. So I'm excited to watch that after this and just continuing down this list of what i watched i saw terminator dark fate uh, there's a lot of arguments online about whether or not, like that's yes it is the best sequel since uh the second T2. movie obviously yeah. i think it's pretty neck and neck with salvation i think salvation is really underrated as far as terminator sequels go but yeah, i thought that was a fun movie you know i i want to say it's more than the sum of its parts but it's really not because some of it is really good uh the big spoiler moment. Do you know what that is? No. Do you, do you are you gonna see it? I mean, I wasn't really playing it. It had okay. kind of lackluster so, appeal overall, so I was probably gonna. It's kind of out like there a, now, but skip ahead. Yeah. If you guys don't want to hear this like a minute. Basically, it opens up w right after the end of Terminator Two. I'm giving everyone five seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, so. Sarah Connor takes John Connor down to Mexico or whatever, or a different country, and it just opens up with John Connor getting killed, like a young John Connor. Oh, really? So, basically, the long story short is, even though Skynet's destroyed, they sent Terminators back all across the timeline so that they'll keep popping up. So there's still Skynet Terminators, like... <laughs> yeah, but there's... Throughout history. There's a new company for, that is totally faceless. It's like, oh, it's a rogue AI that's mm. going to do the same thing as Skynet. Right, it's basically the and, Umbrella Corporation. Yeah, they replaced John Connor with this girl who's a fucking terrible actor. <laughs> She's just not good. She's the kind of new package, you know? Like, John yeah. Connor was, like, the package of the second movie. It's the same type of thing, but she sucks. Like, she's not a good actor. She's not charismatic. Mm -hmm. They do a flash-forward scene where she's the leader of the Resistance, and it's, like, the least believable thing in that movie. <laughs> I was just like, okay. Like, 
She's completely clean. It looks like she just stepped out of the shower, but she's wearing fatigues. Oh, so she's a badass, but she doesn't get her hands dirty? Right. Like, what's what's going on? I don't know. I thought it was stupid. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the cool thing about, like, the future John Connor being Christian Bale in Salvation. Right. Where <laughs> he was, like, legitimately a soldier on the front lines, basically, like, yeah. fighting these huge robots and shit. Like, he was not the guy, like, the man in the chair who was telling people what to do. Like, he was there doing it all. And yeah. obviously Christian Bale is like a really good actor, so having him be the lead really kind of elevated the character again. Um, <laughs> they, they give this lady way too much dialogue for how poor of an actress she is. <laughs> also, the action is like watching a PS2 game. Oh yeah, his points. It's just like, like really bad CGI. Uh, uh, God, it's just so much. It's nothing is real at points. And the one big set piece in the movie is supposed to be that plane crash, like falling out of the sky. It's like. I didn't believe it at all. I was like, well, this isn't happening. This, this is just a <laughs> movie. It's like it's like a cutscene from a game. I was like, this is stupid. Uh, Linda Hamilton, though, na- nailed it. Totally awesome. She's a badass. Just great action scenes. Seeing her interact with Arnold is great. Arnold's awesome. Problem is, he only shows up halfway through the movie. <laughs> it, but he has the best humor stuff. Like, I guess after he killed John Connor... He developed a consciousness, <laughs> started a drape company. <laughs> it's like, it's really funny. It's funny in the movie. Uh, the Rev 9, played by Gabriel Luna, they showed the worst parts of him in the trailer in this dumbass, goofy outfit. But for the rest of the movie, he's really cool. Standout role, though, is Mackenzie Davis. Her character is so cool. She's like a soldier from the future who's sent back. Mm-hmm. And I guess she's like a cyborg. So she has this ridiculously fast metabolism because in the lore, if you're going up against a Terminator, you're going to die in like five minutes anyway, or you're going to kill it. Right. So she's great. Overall, that movie was like a five out of 10. Like every <laughs> single thing that was good has a bad Right. It was aspect. Like, like it had a, a negative uh, counterbalance to it. Right. So I guess now we can get into games. Uh, we both been playing Jedi Fallen Order, which <laughs> so through different avenues we both got this game for free on xbox and we both have xbox one x's and just to be frank it runs like shit <laughs> it's like it Which, struggles and, and to, to be stay fair on. like the xbox one x is the most powerful console right like it's not a i never have problems with the xbox one x i have problems with it with this game because the performance mode, which is supposed to target 60 frames per second, runs somewhere between 38 and 45. Not good. Yeah. And the, the quality mode is like supposed to be 1440p 30 frames per second. And it hovers around like 26 at most of the time. So we just said fuck it and bought it on PC and <laughs> locked it at 60. But that game, that game's great. That game, again, is just like the Mandalorian where it's like you're playing through the, the comics or the show or the novels you know it's not like the movies and i think it excels that way yeah i mean it gets a lot of cool stuff i mean you get to see like the sith inquisitors which like if you haven't watched rebels or if you haven't been too engrossed in like the eu is like a really interesting pseudo sith force yeah Uh, you get to see like the actress who uh plays the second sister is a total 10 out of 10 yeah she's really cool extremely hot extremely hot she's awesome very scary (laughs) the other sister not so hot uh, yeah, I mean, if that's, <laughs> some people are into that. You like robot legs. Yeah, yeah, I guess I guess some people are into that. Uh, some people are into women who have heads so big that they can't physically make a helmet large enough. So they just have to wear a visor instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but gameplay-wise, I think that game really nails uh, lightsaber combat. It plays like a Dark Souls game where 
it's parrying and blocking, dodging, and then hitting with your lightsaber. Uh, yeah, it's, feels, it's a lot like Sekiro. Yeah, uh, feels really good. The A lot of the collectibles are either cosmetic items for your lightsaber, where you can change how it looks, or either cosmetic items in terms of like clothing, or for your ship, or for your droid on your back. So... I mean, like, I, I didn't think that that stuff would really get me into, like, the treasure hunting aspect of the game where I'd be looking for all these chests and stuff, but it really did draw me in better than I expected. It, even if it doesn't give any stat bonuses or anything, I still want to get, like, every lightsaber emitter because I want to have the coolest looking lightsaber even though it doesn't matter in combat. <laughs> right. <laughs> I built a really cool lightsaber, and just so everyone knows, Luke Lemasters asked us, have we played Jedi Fallen Order and is it any good? Yes, we've both played it, obviously, and I'd say yes, we both think it's very good. Like it's a it's the best Star Wars game that's come out in a long time. Yeah, probably the best game, best Star Wars game since uh, Force Unleashed One. Like Yeah, it- the story in Battlefront 2 is like embarrassingly bad. Like, all the characters <laughs> are cool, just it was too short, the gameplay wasn't very good, and I don't know. I didn't like that game story all that much. I thought it was fine for what it was, but mm-hmm. it's nice to see a real Star Wars game story that excels and feels like you can compare it to the shows you don't have to say well it is a star wars game you can be like yeah this holds up and and i think what really shocked me about it was uh the actor that plays the main character cal is someone who i'm like not not a huge fan of like i've watched a little bit of shameless and i don't really love that and um his like small run on gotham i've seen youtube clips of and it's extremely cringeworthy to say the least because <laughs> um, he's not the Joker, but he is the Joker. Yeah, so it's just like they they can't legally say he's the Joker, but he plays the Joker. So it's just like ugh. apparently when he comes back to life, because he dies, I guess. Uh, apparently he's much better. All right, like, uh, for some like, reason I, I don't know. Yeah, I have I have no evidence to support or deny that. So <laughs> I'll just I'll agree with you there that if the general I don't know <laughs> I haven't watched Gotham. <laughs> yeah, I mean I'll, I'll, I guess I'll just agree with the general sentiment of Gotham fans <laughs> that it's better when he comes back to life somehow. Um, I haven't seen that shit. <laughs> but uh, like, I'm I'm not a huge fan of that actor. But I feel like he actually plays the main character really well. Like he is very much a Luke or a Ray character where they're like nothing. Like they're a blank slate. Um, right. Who are just like so morally good that it just kind of progresses the story enough and lets you kind of put yourself in their role, which I think is good. Kind of the best place for a Star Wars protagonist to be. They borrow a lot from Uncharted and how much they characterize. Oh, the game him. plays like almost identical to Uncharted, like story. And he's a lot wise. like Nathan Drake, yeah. where he's charming and you know he's like a nice guy. He's got some fun stuff going on. He's got his little buddy BD. Right. I think I think he's pretty good. Um, just overall plays well. That's the most important thing is that the gameplay is good. Traversal is awesome. Force powers are cool. Lightsaber customization is good. Um, I, I'm I'm loving it so far, especially. Uh, if you have the capability to play it on a PC and get those solid 60 frames a second, I think that's really the only way to play it. <laughs> yeah, play it on PC. You will thank us later. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I sacrificed seven hours into my campaign to restart it, and I'm uh, very, <laughs> very thankful that I made the plunge. Uh, yeah, I bought Red Dead Redemption 2 on PC because I never beat it, and again, that game is helped significantly by keyboard and mouse controls and 60 frames per second gameplay. I picked up uh, Pokemon's Shield and 
Uh, I bought a shiny Charizard on eBay for $5. <laughs> no, I bought a shiny Charmander with perfect stats. He's a six IV. So he's the best you can get. And I boosted his ass all the way up to be a Charizard. <laughs> he's fucking awesome. Everyone goes, oh, yeah, you know that's hacked, right? I'm like, yeah, because that impacts my game in any way. Who cares? It's fucking Pokemon. <laughs> I get you spent five year old dollars on it. I hope he's the best he could be. Yeah. God damn. <laughs> it was so worth it. I dropped five dollars on eBay and then this guy hit me up and it was like on, on the global trading network. He was like, Sup man, set your code to this. I was like, all right, and then he traded it to me. There you go. And he was he was nice enough to make the original trainer Ash. I thought that was That's cool. A little extra mile. You know, you yeah. really want he didn't have to do that, but that's a nice little touch. <laughs> he delivered my Charmander with a smile. So <laughs> There's this really cool thing now where if you do raids, you get EXP candies. So I was able to get them to level 50 in a matter of seconds because I just hoarded them. Uh, so that was cool. I dumped the starter right into the box that I got <laughs> the game. So overall, that's... I mean, uh, that's it's a weird game because it's like Hell House 2 where all of the criticism is accurate, but I mm-hmm. still really like it. Yeah. It's like you can see all the flaws, but it's still Pokemon. So at the end of the day, it's just inherently a good game. Yeah, I've seen, um, I haven't played it yet myself. I haven't picked up my copy of the game. Um, I'm subscribed to the Pokemon subreddit, so I've seen some of the, like, super turbo nerd Star or uh, Pokemon fans talk about it. And, you mean the Charizard haters? Right, like, the biggest complaint that they have is that Game Freak loved Charizard too much, so... <laughs> boo-hoo. <laughs> boo-hoo. Um, I did see one guy's, like, in-depth probably 6,000 word review of the game where he broke it down into different sections and he really liked some parts of it, uh, really hated other parts of it. I didn't read into it too in depth, but I think he gave like the end game a negative three out of 10 and he gave the main campaign like an eight. So I think that averages out to a decent game (laughs) overall. Um, (laughs) But I think um, it's something that like, I'm definitely going to pick it up. I just have too much stuff to play. Like, Jedi Fallen Order has been super fun to me and, like, the only thing I wanted to play. And now that I'm watching Clone Wars and I'm getting back into the Star Wars mood again, now that it's the end of the year, I picked up Battlefront 2 also. So that's probably going to be a huge time sink for me. Uh, but I- I'm definitely going to pick it up probably before year end. Yeah, you should get it for while you're watching Clone Wars because the episodes start to bleed together after a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, I really... I like the game a lot. We did a video on this is basically explaining the controversy and definitely sided with the people who hate it. <laughs> and it's like the biggest video on that channel, which is nice. Uh, Cause I did, I did a lot of the work on it. I edited it. <laughs> I helped Austin shoot it and I wrote it. So I was very happy that it turned out well and did as well as it did. It kind of like exceeded my expectations a lot. Uh, but yeah, so there's been a lot of good games, a lot of good stuff to watch this fall. Um, I asked on Twitter, I asked everyone two questions. I said, what do you think of the Mandalorian so far? And I also asked what you are planning on seeing or playing for the rest of the year. So we already covered Luke's question. He asked us about Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, my friend from Chile, Nick says he likes the Mandalorian so far. And to be honest, he wants to watch the new Black Christmas before the year ends. Friend of the show, Andrew Gebbia Uh, He was actually a guest on this show with our other friend, Jake Baldino. He says, I'm loving The Mandalorian. It's like watching a Star Wars comic, if that makes sense. There's so much more I want to see in the Star Wars universe besides the Skywalker stuff. And I love that this show is scratching that itch. Jon Favreau straight up killing it. So 
that was just a summary of everything we said about yeah, the show. Totally, we both wholeheartedly <laughs> agree with that, and uh, <laughs> kind of just retreading ground there. But yeah, totally cool to see expanded universe stuff there. Yeah, welcome to the uh, big brain circle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> big brain time. <laughs> Very smart man. Uh, Sunderland says, I am so happy Blair Witch is coming to PlayStation 4. Did not know that. I don't have kids, but I'd be willing to sell them just to get the chance to play it, and now I don't have to. My imaginary children are safe. That's awesome. Yeah, I like that. I thought that was a pretty good game. I think uh, we did talk about it on the show, but uh, it's it's cool. They have some, some fun elements in that game, too. Yeah, that game's great. We talked about it, I think, two episodes ago. Uh, you should listen to that, because we went pretty deep on it. It was the same episode we talked about man of medan in and eric jen says mandalorian is awesome it's nice to see a different side to the galaxy that isn't laser swords and he says he's most excited to see knives out and rise of skywalker and he really wants to start death stranding and you know what got to agree because i want to play that game yeah i think we're both waiting for the pc port uh for the death stranding but it looks cool it definitely i've seen there's like a lot of weird kind of opinions on that it seems like the first chunk of the game is pretty boring, but people really kind of love it after the fact, like once the game is done. So it's probably something that has to be experienced really more so than just reading a review of, but uh, definitely something that I'm looking forward to. I saw a article on IGN that was like, Death Stranding only gets good after you beat it. And I was like, just go home, <laughs> go take a nap. Too much water. Uh, Shut the hell up. Yeah. <laughs> Too much water. 7.8, too much water. <laughs> AJ Siemens, uh, who gets a gold star for taking our recommendation and watching Hell House LLC and loving it, yep. he says, I am, of course, hyped for Rise of Skywalker. Mandalorian is an excellent little Star Wars adventure, and he's hopping, he's hoping, I read that wrong, he wrote it right, <laughs> he's hoping to give one cut of the dead a watch before the end of the year. So everyone's kind of on the same page. I like that a lot. I'm glad uh, you know more people are going to experience Blair Witch. I'm glad that he wants to check out One Cut of the Dead because I want to check that out. And it seems like everyone's really excited for Star Wars. So, yeah, it's that know, season. Another... Star Wars season. Right. So that was our big catch up. Now we're going to get into the news instead of doing a movie review segment. We've got some really good news this week. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with that. So this week we have eight news stories to talk about, and none of them are really duds, so we're just going to jump right into it with Edgar Wright's upcoming horror movie, Last Night in Soho. So we got the first plot details, and it's basically a psychological horror movie starring Anya Taylor-Joy and Thomas and McKenzie. We obviously know Anya Taylor-Joy from Glass, Split, The Witch, and her movie that's never coming out, The New Mutants. And <laughs> yeah, McKenzie... Yeah, development hell for sure. Yeah, dude, that movie's... Stop please just start over same actors please just start over <laughs> please make it rated r um <laughs> thomas and mckenzie is an up-and-comer i didn't know who she was but i actually just watched a movie called the king on netflix and she has a very small role in it but she does a good job and according to edgar wright most of the movie takes place in london during the 60s and that's a time period in which his lead character played by thomas and mckenzie is obsessed and through a mysterious connection with anya taylor joy's character named sandy she gets to experience that time period and edgar wright said there's something i have in common with the lead character and that i'm afflicted with nostalgia for a decade i didn't live in you think about 60s London and what it would be like, and the reality of the decade is maybe not what she imagines. It has an element of be careful what you wish for. 
that's very relatable, honestly, because yeah. everyone's nostalgic for the 80s, even though neither <laughs> right. grew up in the 80s. Right. Uh, um, it's like these kids now who are nostalgic for objectively the worst decade, the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine when people are like nostalgic for the early 2000s and they're just like, we want bad CGI and terrible green screens. Right. They're like, we want to have uh, those little like hip pouch clip music things where you bought oh, like the clips? CD on a chip and then yeah hip clips that's what it was like they're they're hoping to go to school with the hip clips instead of having the music on their phone uh, yeah but i think it sounds really cool um like a london 60s horror movie it seems like a cool setting uh probably gonna have some really solid music since edgar wright uh, yeah and some good editing and shot work yeah totally i think He's probably going to do a good job of like recreating that old school vibe, which uh, worked out well for movies this year. Like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood really kind of nailed that aesthetic and is probably my movie of the year for it. And it's a different lens to see it through because it's set in London, not America, which I like. Right. Totally cool. So I'm definitely really looking forward to this. Me too. So next up here, Joker has officially past a billion dollars and we might be getting a sequel it's gonna be called jokest i hear <laughs> i heard it was called joker 2 electric boogaloo no i, I heard it's called jokest oh maybe maybe i got my uh names mixed up then maybe we got our facts facts wrong there just like the hollywood reporter hey so <laughs> as you might have observed as you might have observed over the past few days, Joker finally crossed the $1 billion threshold, becoming the 44th movie of all time to achieve that nine-figure gross. So because of that, earlier in the week, The Hollywood Reporter said that Todd Phillips, this is exactly what they said. I'm not embellishing at all. So Todd Phillips, they say, busted into the WB chairman's office and demanded <laughs> the rights to a portfolio of DC origin stories but he only walked away with one other DC movie and a sequel to Joker. But that was just a lie. They just made that up. <laughs> this wasn't true. Because like, what a weird lie to say. This made it up completely. It's like Top weirdly specific. So Todd Phillips did an interview later in the week with IndieWire. He said, here's the real truth about a sequel. Well, Jokin and I have talked about it, and while touring the world with Warner Brothers executives, going to Toronto and Venice and other places, of course, we're sitting at dinner, and they're saying, so have you thought about a sequel? But talking about contracts, there's not a contract for us to even write a sequel, and we never even approached Joking to be in a sequel. Will that happen? Again, I just think the article was anticipatory at best. That was a very nice way to respond to objective lies. Right, like instead of him saying that's complete horseshit, he was like, that's anticipatory at best, <laughs> which is kind of the nicest way of saying that. I um, want a sequel to Joker really bad. I want to see him become the crime syndicate lord in a grounded, trash-filled Gotham City that's essentially Tony Soprano's stomping grounds of Newark. <laughs> right. Like, I think uh, most people probably agree that, like, that third act of actually seeing the Joker kind of in full bloom was like a cool, like a interesting kind of kicking off point for the movie where people would want to see more of that character kind of having these big aspirations or doing like big style crime. So crime. just doing crime. Be, yeah, just doing crime. Like Yeah, that's it, what I want. Be, yeah. It, like I would totally watch a movie of just the Joker crime lord creating chaos in Gotham. 
I mean, it'd be it'd definitely be weird to see him do like a, like a fight scene, like to see him fight Batman if they bring that in would just be like no contest because Joaquin Phoenix is like eighty pounds and Batman would just punch him off a building and just one keep punch. Batman out of it. Like if they keep yeah. it around the seventies or eighties, right? He'll still be a kid, so right. that's fine. Like let him be a kid. He can hang out with Cameron Monaghan from the new hit game Jedi Fallen Order and then <laughs> Jokas can become the crime lord of DC. I mean even if it was like a cool like a uh, Commissioner Gordon up and coming story where we get like the Joker committing crimes and then like a young yeah like Gordon what Gotham was like supposed fresh, to be right like young Gordon fresh on the police force who's like the one non-corrupt cop who's trying to actually make a difference in the city and he sees all this like terror going on and wants to be like the guardian angel of gotham to save it and be like kind of the uh role model for everyone like that'd be awesome if that was the main antagonist of the movie so hopefully if there is a sequel in the works that's kind of the direction they go instead of uh trying to bring batman into it it's kind of win-win either way for warner brothers because they just made a movie for 20 million dollars and made a billion on it (laughs) right that'd be like if halloween made a billion (laughs) yeah completely i mean (laughs) that's insane like really really what this should do is signal to dc that they should just completely get out of the trying to compete with marvel game where they're trying to play catch up and like make this this like dcu style pg-13 stuff with like their bad characters and just do like r-rated dark stories with superheroes because obviously with the joker made over a billion dollars so the audience is there people would definitely go out and see r-rated superhero movies and i think this is hopefully something that dc will read loud and clear and make the focus of their future movies i don't think i could say it better myself so we'll just move on shutter is bringing us joe bob's red christmas on friday the 13th in december so they announced that he's returning again for a Christmas marathon, and this time it's going to be a triple feature. So it's going to start at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific, which is the worst time for something live to start because that's when I'm <laughs> driving home from work. But it's going to be available on VOD immediately after, which is great. So last year he did um, the Phantasm series, which was great because I hadn't seen those movies, and now I love them. I love Phantasm. It's such a cool movie. Love that shiny ball. Mm-hmm. And uh, Angus Scrim, that's the actor's name, which is surprising. Uh, this time <laughs> around, he'll probably do Black Christmas or Silent Night, Deadly Night because Black Christmas is coming out, right? So yeah, I mean, I think that would probably I I like that's on Shutter, and so I think there's probably something there where if they promote that, that's good for everybody. So I would assume that that's part of it. I um, doubt he'd do Krampus, right? Yeah, I mean, that's... too I, I would say it's probably things that are on Shutter already. Like, I don't think they would stealth put something on the streaming service and then have Joe Bob review it. Uh, right. So I would say that, like, these are probably all probably pretty safe picks. So... Uh, I, I just hope we see Silent Night of the Night 2 and the Garbage Day scene. Because that would be Garbage awesome. Day. Garbage Day. I love that. Uh, I'm glad <laughs> that after a year and a half the joe bob story hasn't lost its luster like every time i'm just as excited to watch yeah totally it's weird because like i mean i guess getting these like quarterly specials kind of keeps it like fresh in a way where you know like we had a little bit of uh we were getting weekly in the summer 
and then we kind of they back off for a bit and then we get like one in October we get one at the end of the year so I think like the way they're stressing them out is really smart and I hope that we keep getting them uh, as long as Joe Bob is willing to come back and review this stuff right and I'm assuming a lot of people will be watching that instead of Black Christmas the remake which comes out on the same day because everyone's probably already heard this at this point but Black Christmas is going to be related it's going to be related it's going to be rated PG-13 for black violence terror thematic content involving sexual assault language sexual material and drinking um i don't like that honestly <laughs> i i don't know like i really like you know, saying wait till you see a movie before you judge it. Obviously, right. that's what we're gonna do here because we have this is the last horror movie that's really coming out before the end of the year. But Blumhouse has a style with these PG thirteen movies, and except for Happy Death Day, none of them are very good. Right, <laughs> like, they all just feel like a cash in. Like right, and that's exactly get, what this feels like. They get these like actors that couldn't really get on an MTV show, but you know, kind Tyler of fit Posey. the mold. Right. Uh, then they bring them in, they half-ass a movie for like two million bucks, and they put it out into theaters, they make ten times their budget on it just because people go out and see a horror movie, and they're happy, and Right, and so it's from their perspective, movie. it's gate- gateway horror, which I appreciate, because I liked those movies when I was in high school, right? Because Prom Night yeah. came out and everything like that. But And I think most people, you know, they have some movie that's like a shitty horror movie that they see when they're a teenager and it gets them interested in the genre in one way or another where, yeah, like it's not necessarily a good movie, but seeing it kind of gets you interested in watching more of them. Like I think the Final Destination movies were all kind of that style where they're like this like kind of trash, uh, like gore movie that just kind of gets you interested in it or the Saw franchise was similar, mm-hmm. but... Um, so this movie already has like a lot of knocks against it though which is why knowing all of that knowing that gateway horror is a thing knowing that pg-13 rating automatically doesn't make a movie bad if it's a horror movie uh these there are some reasons why people are pissed so the first one is that the trailer seems to reveal the entire movie and because of that people have basically figured out this really has no reason to be called a Black Christmas reboot other than the fact it's obviously set on Christmas. Other than that, it's completely different in almost every way from the original. Secondly, Black Christmas is a slasher movie, and I feel like that's somewhere where it's okay to draw the line on wanting it to be rated R because traditionally slasher movies, you're really there to see the gore. You're not necessarily there to walk away with some social commentary or you know, a changed outlook on the world. Right. I think a lot of this, these issues they're having with this movie could have been very easily avoided if they treated it like an original IP because no one gave a shit when Truth or Dare came out and it's a very similar structure to what this seems to have. But because this is using the name Black Christmas, it's basically inviting people to be upset. And when you see that it's a PG-13 remake of a classic 80s slasher, the movies you get in your mind are When a Stranger Calls, Prom Night, and The Fog, which are all very similar, and I guess Carrie too. All of them are terrible because they're just cashing in on a name. And nothing about this, except for two things we're going to talk about in a second, make it feel any different. And what those two things are, Sophia Tikal is the director, and she did a great job on Into the Dark, New Year, New You. We talked about that on the show. Yeah, that was a cool, um, one of the better one of those Into the Dark episodes, I feel. 
And she also starred in VHS in the original one, in the one where they go to the Grand Canyon, I think, alongside Joe Swanberg, which is like the second, second honeymoon. So she's legit. Like she's a legit horror fan and director, obviously, because she's directed at one of the best horror anthologies of mm. all time. The problem is she kind of got thrown to the fucking wolves here by a company who just slapped the Black Christmas name on her movie that probably would have stood on its own. Based on her right. pedigree. If it was called anything else, it probably would have done okay. Right. But, just, but the fact that it has sense. a pedigree to live up to, it kind of makes you at a disadvantage from the start. Yeah. So it's frustrating because they also have a great cast that includes uh, Imogen Poots, who's from Green Room. She did an awesome job in Green Room. They also got Carrie Elwes. Uh, who's obviously from The Princess Bride, but he was the villain in Stranger Things 3, and he's from the original Saw. So they have this awesome director, they have this awesome cast with legitimately good horror actors, and they have a pretty decent premise that totally could stand on its own, but they basically shot themselves in the foot right before the race started by calling it Black Christmas. And I don't think it's unfair to criticize them for that, because it's, it's just like... It's transparent, and it didn't need to happen, especially yeah. considering Blumhouse's original IPs that they came up with all by themselves are all massive money makers, like Happy Death Day and Truth or Dare. And The Purge. Yeah, and The Purge. Like They have proven time and time again, working with Universal, who's also distributing this movie, that they know what they're doing. It just feels like a short-sighted mistake that Blumhouse isn't necessarily... Like, it doesn't seem like a Blumhouse move to name it Black Christmas, knowing how different it is. Like, usually they're smarter and they're better than this. Like, especially when we just got the Halloween 2018 last year, which, like, was pseudo-capitalizing on the name of the franchise, but was kind of progressing it in a way where they were showing they actually cared about it, where they pumped money into it, they wanted to get the right actors back, they, like, wanted to actually make it, like, a a tentpole in the franchise and this just does not feel like that at all no it doesn't feel like the same caliber as get out or halloween or us it feels definitely more in the caliber of what they used to make you know the five million dollars throw it at the wall and see if it sticks philosophy and i think right using the black christmas name they could have done a lot better um but i guess they're content with where they're at i just don't like that anyone who criticizes them for this gets shoved under the rug being like, Oh, you're just an idiot who says PG 13 horror can't work. Here's the same list of seven PG 13 horror (laughs) movies that everyone lists every time. If you're saying that PG 13 horror doesn't work, you're a fucking idiot straight up. Like, sorry, it does work. But if you're concerned that a remake of a violent and gory slasher movie is rated PG 13, that does not inherently make you an idiot that me right to me that means you're smart like there there is probably actually room to worry on that <laughs> right but those same people who are bitching are gonna go see this day one hell help it make uh 50 million dollars and yep prove to blumhouse that even when they piss people off they'll still make money it's this it's the same shit with microtransactions and video games like everyone loves a bitch about them but those people still shell out a ton of money and we just saw the same thing happen with pokemon everyone's you know it seemed like it was the end of the world for the Pokemon franchise, and it was the fastest and best-selling Switch launch that that console was at. Yeah, like so, by a mile. It was a huge seller, so 
Like you guys can bitch all you want. If you really disagree with it, right? Yeah, if you really disagree with something, vote with your wallet. It doesn't bother me so much that this is rated PG thirteen. I like the director. I like what the movie looks like. Its story is going to be, even though I've already seen the entire thing from the trailer. So I'm gonna go see it. But if it really bothers you all that much, stay home and watch Joe Bob because they'll probably be showing the original on the night this comes out. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, In positive news, though, Fetty Alvarez. One of my favorite directors of all time. He signed a deal with Legendary Pictures through his production company, Bad Ombre Pictures. So he did this with uh, his, you know, longtime writing partner, whose last name is Sayagas. And I don't have his first name here because I'm an idiot. But the first movie they're doing is a Washington, D.C.-based horror film written by Joe Epstein, which Alvarez will direct. So he and his writing partner, Rodolfo Sayegas, which I did write down (laughs) just in the wrong spot, uh, they're making this movie together that's basically The Shining set in the White House. So that sounds really cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, it seems interesting. And then more interestingly to me, though, they're also going to produce a reboot of The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it's going to be penned by Chris Thomas Devlin. And this one's supposedly going the Halloween 2018 route, where it's going to be a direct sequel to the original and just kind of ignore the rest of the movies. That's happened before multiple times with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But this is the first time where someone who knows what they're doing is going to be producing it. So I have very high hopes. Yeah, I, I think this one could take off. I mean, I think we, you know, we're both like pretty big fans of Fede Alvarez and think yeah, he he's could the do a man, good job dude. with it. Um, I mean, his Evil Dead movie is like criminally underrated. So giving him, I another... don't, yeah, I don't want to get in that topic again. <laughs> we, we've talked about it to death, um, but it's I, I think giving him another crack at like a major franchise like TCM could be really good. He's and... perfect for that. Yeah, Jug- completely. <laughs> it's just, I wish he was directing it. I love. I don't know. It, it seems authentic the way that he's making a movie about Washington, D.C. That's basically The Shining set in the White House. He's in a very good position to do that. I feel like he's earned the ability. And obviously he's taken offense to some things that Trump has done because his company is literally called Bad Ombre Pictures. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) So it feels like the logical next step for him is to do a movie like this, regardless of how you feel politically. I just... I don't know. I feel like he's not going to fuck around with it. You know, it's going to be well done. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll probably just be a cool movie regardless. Like that's an interesting premise, like a haunted White House style movie with, you know, these two guys at the helm seems like it is kind of a recipe for success. Like I don't really see uh, what could go wrong here. You know, fingers crossed, but it it sounds cool. Like I'm, I'm happy that they're, uh, getting this new movie as well as uh, crack at these one of the big boy franchises. Yeah, it's kind of weird that um, you know he worked with Sony so much. He worked with Sony on Don't Breathe. He did the Girl mm-hmm. in the Spider's Web for them. They, I think, are the ones who funded the Evil Dead remake. But this deal he signed with Legendary basically is them opening their wallets for him indefinitely. So I'm glad yeah. that you know he's making changes that needed to be made. I guess. Right, and I mean, even we've heard rumblings of Don't Breathe 2, so, you know, if that comes out and that's a thing, there's, like, another weird uh, tug-of-war between these two companies. It seems like he's in a position where he has more options than he needs or, like, knows what to do with. Right. And that's a great place for someone like him to be, because... Yeah, happy that he's, like, kind of getting that recognition and getting the authority to pick and choose, like, 
order of projects and priority on things instead of just being told you have to do A, B, and C. Yes. And speaking of massive franchises coming back, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is having a much, much better time than Friday the 13th is uh, because... I'll explain it. So two months ago, Bloody Disgusting reported that like with Friday the 13th, Wes Craven's estate was able to regain the U.S. rights to the franchise by um, taking advantage of this law that says if you're a screenwriter, after 35 years, you can uh, reclaim the rights to your franchise in the country where you wrote it. So Wes Craven wrote and directed A Nightmare on Elm Street. Warner Brothers and New Line weren't really doing anything with the license, so they were able to just regain it uncontested obviously his estate because Wes Craven died in 2015. So Warner Brothers and New Line still own the international rights, but even though that's the case, Wes Craven's estate is accepting pitches on a TV show that they want to end up on HBO Max and movies. This is really only good, and the fact that they want the show to end up on HBO Max tells us that they're probably just going to work with New Line and Warner Brothers again right? because they own HBO which makes sense because you wouldn't want to make your movie in the United States with Universal and then have to give any of the money it makes overseas to uh, Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. That would suck. <laughs> that's, that's basically what M. Night Shyamalan had to do with Split and Glass because right. they let him use David Dunn for Split and then he made Glass and Disney was like, okay, we gave you David Dunn. Now you have to let us release Glass internationally and make all the money on it, which is really smart on their end so essentially what's going on is some people have thrown their hat in the ring elijah wood and daniel noah's specter vision say they want to make a nightmare on elm street movie and my favorite option is mike flanagan who tweeted today that he has a pitch so i hope that happens yeah i mean really it's just cool i mean regardless of if the movies get made or not it's just cool to see kind of people throwing in new unique ideas for this franchise so it's something that, kind of, you know, the, the wheels kind of fell off after, like, the third one, arguably the fourth one. And it just, like, kind of ramped up in, like, its lunacy and, like, basically turning into a cartoon after that. Uh, so kind of seeing some of the pitches and people interested in taking up the mantle or putting their own spin on the movie is cool. I mean, I think it'd be interesting to see even, like, people revisiting some of the ideas of, like, the Peter Jackson uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, where he's like a decrepit old man or whatever. I mean, the, the possibilities are endless, essentially, and what they could do with it. And so it's cool to see that there's all these creative minds kind of coming together to throw their hat in the ring for where this should go next. And knowing that the most well-regarded movie in the franchise, except for the original, is the character-driven third entry, mm-hmm. I feel like Mike Flanagan would do a really good job making a new one. So hopefully he gets it. And yeah, I mean, I, I just hope that, like, the performance of Dr. Sleep doesn't deter that in any way. Right. Because um, it's Warner Brothers. Right. I think he'll be Warner okay. Brothers. Um, but, I mean, I think he's really proved himself as kind of the premier, like, one of the best horror directors working today. So I think if he really had a good idea, he could probably push it through if they were so inclined. Yeah. So Warner Brothers, it seems, though... <laughs> It looks like they're trying to bring back Pennywise again, which is kind of hilarious because before It Chapter 2 came out, it was like, well, you know, there are a bunch of stories with Pennywise, but we don't know if we'd ever go back to that well. We don't want to go against Stephen King's wishes or anything like that. But now that It Chapter 2 is out, Gary Doberman is just straight up talking about it. (laughs) And he sat down with a real website 
called Comic Book Movie. <laughs> Definitely a website. He says uh, <laughs> they asked him if uh, there would ever be Pennywise prequels in that huge gap of time between the first movie and when Pennywise showed up. And he said, I do think it's possible. Anything in the Stephen King universe interests me, but there's only so much of the story we could tell in those two movies. There are definitely elements of the novel you would expand on and could make its own movie. It's just a question of whether or not people would want to see it. But I do think it was on this planet for a very long time and that there's a lot of bloodshed and stories to tell. And I think you could do that for sure. So I would put a lot of stock in Pennywise continuing to become the modern day Freddy Krueger for... Uh, Warner Brothers because they kind Definitely. of be stupid not to at this point. Yeah, I mean, even like even if they don't come up with original ideas and only use like the three original interludes from the It novel, I mean, that's you could make that into at the very least one movie, at the very most, if you stretched it three movies. But like, there are stories to tell in that universe of Pennywise wreaking havoc in other decades that could easily be pulled out from the source material and could be expanded on with original ideas. If people were interested in writing like new stuff for the Pennywise character, I'm always rooting for Gary Doberman. He's just, you know, he's, he's a guy you can really root for. We've, we've been watching his rise to glory all the way up from (laughs) Annabelle one to it chapter two. And it's just, it's cool. I really like that. So I'd want to see him get to continue to write and maybe even direct another Pennywise movie because he's proven with Annabelle Comes Home that he is a pretty solid director. And Bill Skarsgård is just so iconic in that role that I feel like I'm, I want to be cynical about it, but I can't be because I want to see more of that Pennywise. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely done a great job of kind of distancing himself from uh, the Tim Curry portrayal of that role and yeah. kind of making it his own in this like new it universe that they're making. It's arguably think scarier, too. Yeah, I mean, he's done a really great job of taking that role that, like, was essentially set in stone where people would saying like, there's no way anyone could ever replace, you know, the original screen adaptation of that character and kind of t- turn people's expectations on their head and made it his own, which I applaud for sure. Right. So I would be very interested in seeing more from It Chapter 2 and having it have, like, a prequel give them another chance to make a better movie because <laughs> uh, yeah. chapter two is not very good. Yeah. Two is a bit of a stumbling block. I I thought I would, I thought that movie would have more staying power in my brain. It just hasn't. <laughs> I'm just like, all right, it feels like a Marvel movie where, you know, you yeah. see it and you go, wow, that was cool. And then you never think about it again. Yeah. <laughs> you never remember one scene from it ever again, except for the Spider-Man movies because they have a soundtrack, like they have a score. That's right. identifiable as fucking music and not just a bunch of bass tones. So it's like you can re- you can visually identify scenes from Spider-Man by thinking about music from that movie. And I think yeah. that works really well. Every once in um, a while I think about that elevator scene from uh, Winter Soldier 2. But... Yeah, because it's awesome. <laughs> it's like that, that, don't, that's, that movie is definitely breaks the mold for Marvel by being sure. a film. <laughs> but <laughs> speaking of cool things... Uh, I saved the best news story for last, in my opinion. Uh, Resident Evil 3 is almost guaranteed to be getting a remake in the same way of Resident Evil 2. Now, the YouTuber Spawn Wave 
he's important here because he leaked this news, but he also leaked Elden Ring way back before E3, and he turned out to be 100% right. And he says that his sources told him that Capcom, Capcom has been hard at work on a remake of Resident Evil 3 Nemesis that will come out next year, which is awesome. And the rumor was then immediately backed up by Eurogamer, who says they've also heard that the remake is coming out next year. So uh, that I would put some stock in, and it makes sense because... I feel like it's easier for them to do these remakes because they already have the mold of the story and what they need to do with it. And I'm sure they can use a lot of assets from Resident Evil 2 remake because Resident Jill Evil 3... Jill Valentine is still in it. And right. Yeah. It's set... Resident Evil 3 is basically set right before Resident Evil 2 in Raccoon City. And they already have like a rig built for Mr. X. They could very easily apply that to Nemesis. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is gonna happen i'm very happy about it and then it gives them more time to make resident evil 8 more than it's six hours yeah i mean i think this is cool to be great just because like resident evil 2 and 3 were ones that i think like a lot of people sort of missed out on because they were maybe like a generation or two before like people really got into games like i think like definitely my first resident evil game i loved was resident evil 4 right and so to kind of bring back these older entries in the franchise with these updated... Like, Resident Evil 2 is probably arguably my game of the year so far. Uh, so to see, like, that style game with Resident Evil 3, I think I would love it just as much if it came out, like, early or, or even late next year. I would play the hell out of that, and it would probably really rank up there as, like, a still an impactful story and still something that would resonate with people today since I think probably a lot of people missed out on it the first time around. Yeah, and Andrew Taylor asked us if we think the RE3 remake would be an open world type game, like with Nemesis chasing you all across Raccoon City, and I think that would be very cool if they built it sort of like The Evil Within 2, where Raccoon is a hub, uh, Yeah, and you go into different buildings, but when you're in the hub, you're chased around by Nemesis. Okay. Yeah, where there's kind of like open areas where there is some exploration and some crafting elements or something, but there are still like more linear sections of it and boss fights and that kind of thing. I, I would definitely dig that for sure. I would play that. Yeah. Um, That's a great question. I would also still play it if it was like a even a more linear style like RE2. I would also be really into that if they wanted to make it um, where there was like a smaller hub world where nothing really happens, kind of like the center of the uh, Raccoon City Police Department in RE2. Um, but I, I think it'd be cool either way. I'm I'm just really completely down for an RE3 remake. People also think we're getting more DLC for RE2 because the game got updated on Steam with a hidden a new hidden achievement. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the game awards are coming up, so I'd I'd put money on Capcom. Being like, hey, not only are we doing an expansion for RE2, but we're also working on RE3 while we finish RE8, and people who like survival horror games should all be happy. Right. I mean, and they also have that uh, co-op style Resident oh, Evil yeah, game Project coming Resistance. out too. So I want to play that. <laughs> a, a lot of Resident Evil games <laughs> in the works right now. That's fine. I hope they make an original Switch one because. They were like, hey, we put Resident Evil 4 and two bad games out, so <laughs> that's cool. Like, make a Switch game, guys, please. Yeah, I mean, even if they did something like... Like, I think the first Revelations was awesome on the 3DS. If yeah. you have if you have the two game pads, 
where you can yeah, the use boat. like the two analog sticks, it it plays pretty well. Like on the if you have the new 3ds with like the little nubbin, it you plays can pretty get well. the first uh, revelations, the HD remake on the Switch, and it is just as good. Like the game plays so well, and then you start to play two, and you're like, this game fucking sucks. <laughs> two is but, so bad. <laughs> but I'm saying like if they make another like uh, revelation style, like a kind of back to basics or like a very focused kind of linear game like that but on like a handheld like they did with revelations i think that could really be a home run for them i agree so either way things are looking up for the resident evil franchise which means that's a great place to end the show uh do you have anything else you want to say george no i mean that's uh it's been the a good catch-up episode a lot of stuff to cover (laughs) yeah that was really fun i hope you guys enjoyed this longer episode um we'll be back next week obviously but we'll start with, actually, it'll have the same structure, really. It'll be what we're playing, but what we're watching will be saved for the review section. Uh, we'll find something good to talk about either way. So, as always, my name is Jimmy Champagne, and I will see you in the next one. Thanks for listening.